Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Mackenzie campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. Oh, hi everyone, and welcome to Gateway and Lives. Great to be with you again today uh, as we open God's Word together and just hear what it is that God wants to speak to us uh, in this place today. And I get the privilege today of continuing our return series. And I want to take us to a scripture that's recorded in the book of Revelation, the very last scripture, uh, very last Bible, the book in the Bible. And I want to start by asking the question of, if Jesus was to write a letter to our church, what is it that he would say? At the start of the book of Revelation, uh, John records seven letters that Jesus writes to seven churches. These are newly formed churches throughout the region or the ancient region of Asia Minor, which is in the current day Turkey. And the the letter we're going to read today is to a church in a place called Ephesus. And Ephesus was a cultural center. It was a center of commerce and economy. It was one of the major centers of the ancient world. And years before, the Apostle Paul had been instrumental in planting, establishing and building a great church in the city of Ephesus. The book of Ephesians in our Bible is a letter that Paul writes to that church. And so now we have, though, the words of Jesus. What does Jesus want to say to this group of believers that have gathered in this place called Ephesus? I want to ask the question of what would Jesus say to us if he was to write a letter to us? I'm going to go straight to the letter and then we're going to talk about it today. But it's from Revelation chapter 2 and it says this, These are the words of him who hold the seven stars in his right hand and walk among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things that you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favour. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And to those who are victorious, I'll give the right to eat from the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. And in these letters that are recorded to the churches, there's a similar pattern. There's often a compliment about what they've done. There's a challenge to the things that Jesus sees that need to be addressed. And then there's always a note of hope. You know, he who has ears, let them hear what it is the Spirit wants to say to the churches. I love a compliment. Just this last week, we returned to in-person services at Gateway. And for the first time, In 21 weeks, I stood on a stage at Gateway Ormo and delivered a message. Now, it was a bit of a different pace for me. I hadn't done that with people in the room with me for some time. And I wasn't used to the reaction. You see, over the last little while, the few opportunities I've had to speak in our Gateway Online service, uh, I, I get ready that morning. I know that my sermon's already been prepared. And I go into my lounge room before my family wake. I come to the early service. And I sit down, I mute myself because I don't really want to listen to myself speak. But I'm very interested in what happens in the chat. 
See, it really threw me last week when I was standing on stage because there was no one to throw out love hearts every time I made a great point. And so I was looking at the faces of people just wishing that they had the chance to go, great point, Andrew. Here's a love heart just to say I really like. And so I watched Gateway Online thinking, how many love hearts am I going to get today? I've even gone as far as creating some alter egos in the chat. You know, I've been Frank from Pimpamar and I've been Joan from Marsden. And when things start to slow down a little bit when I'm preaching, I just like to prompt some thoughts for everybody. It's just, this is such a great message. This is such a great thought. Andrew is such a great orator. And I just hope that others pick up and the love hearts continue and the compliments flow. Now, of course, I haven't done those things. But I love a good compliment. I hope some of you just put in the chat right now, man, you make a blue t-shirt look excellent, Andrew. And that jacket just looks so wonderful on you. Your words are so articulate. There's something about us that we love a good compliment. And while I don't need you to do that today, I don't need those things in the chat, I think all of us know what it's like when someone gives us a genuine compliment. I love it. And Jesus starts this letter to his church in Ephesus with some great compliments. Like the first part of this passage, I think if Jesus wrote that letter to me, I'd frame it, I'd blow it up, I'd put it in a picture frame and I'd hang it on the wall because Jesus says some really great things. He says this, I see what you've done. I see your good deeds. And he uses some words that I think many of us would hold pride in if they were the things that Jesus said to us. I see your deeds. He says, I see your hard work and your perseverance. Now, this was a church that knew how to roll up their sleeves, how to get busy, how to do the hard work of ministry and local church work and work within their community. And Jesus compliments them for it. He says, I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people. So not only does he compliment their good deeds, he also compliments their good theology. In other words, he said, I, I, you understand the things of God and you don't tolerate those that are wicked. He goes on later to say, I see you've persevered. You haven't grown weary. More than that, you've endured hardships for my name. So not only are you a hardworking church, not only are you a church that doesn't tolerate the wicked, not only are you a church that uh, you know, has persevered, but you've endured hardships. Even when things got tough, you didn't give up. You've been persistent and you haven't grown weary. I mean, Jesus' compliment to this church is significant. He has some great things to say. Now, if that's where the letter ended, I reckon the church in Ephesus would have been really happy. And there's a whole bunch of us that would be happy with the compliments that Jesus gave. But he doesn't end it there. There's a yet statement. And as they read this, they must have known that there was something coming that was going to put the finger on an issue in their church. And Jesus says this to the church in Ephesus, Yet you've forsaken the love that you had at first. It's this that I hold against you, Jesus says to his church. You've forsaken the love that you had at first. Jesus doesn't just leave it there. He goes a little bit further. He says, unless you actually recognize how far you've gone from that first love, consider how far you've fallen, he said, I want you to repent and do the things that you did at first. Because if you do not repent, then I'll come and remove your lampstand from its place. And we read in Revelation chapter one that the lampstand is a representation of the church. And Jesus says, unless you 
actually rediscover your first love that you've walking, walked away from. Unless you turn and repent and return to me, your lampstand will be removed from its place. Now, there's some commentators that would suggest that if you go to the area where Ephesus once stood, that it's very hard to find an active church still standing today. That the Christians in the area uh, are either in hiding or underground. It's hard to find an active church. And so Jesus' words carry great weight because he says to this church, it's good that you work hard. It's good that you persevered. It's great that you've endured hardship for my name. We get a sense of the persecution they've walked through. It's great that you haven't grown weary, but I really hold something significant against you. You've forsaken your first love. And Jesus doesn't do this to berate his church, to make them feel terrible. He does it because he knows what happens if we continue to walk down a path where we operate out of you know, all of the other things, but a love for Jesus. And so he calls his church to repentance. He says, I want you to return to the things that you did at first, to that place of loving community, that place of loving engagement with me, the things that fueled you when this whole thing began. That's where I want you to come back to. You know, this passage has been a really significant one for me in these last few seasons, uh, the last few months in this season. I, I, I'm, I've grown up in the local church and up until the 15th of March this year, I did some brief sums in my head and I realised that I've been alive for somewhere in the vicinity of 2,130 Sundays. Before the 15th of March this year, I think the greatest gap I ever had from sitting in a gathered expression of church was four weeks. And then on the 15th of March, our world changed. And for the last 21 weeks, I haven't had the opportunity to gather with people in person in church. And we've been so blessed by the opportunity in the world we live in to engage in an online environment. And we know that even though the gathered church wasn't able to meet the church, continued to function and grow and bless people. But it's been 21 weeks since I got to gather in person with people, the biggest gap I've ever had in my life. And I don't take for granted that that's my story and that I've had the privilege of growing up in a family that uh, local church attendance and being part of a community of faith was a really important part of my upbringing and has continued into my adult years and now into my own family. But one of the things that happened when we stopped meeting back in mid-March was I realised some of the structures that have been second nature to me for so long now didn't exist. And, and it allowed for me a great consultancy on the things that I build into my life that sustain and grow and build my faith when some of the things I'm so used to have now been dismantled for a season. And in those early days, God brought me personally to this passage. It's been a personal challenge for me in this season. Where he said, Andrew, you work hard, you persevere, you've endured some hardships, but where, where are we at? And I just found myself confronted with this thought of how easy it is to just get in the rhythm of doing the Christian life. Where the core invitation that we've all got is to love God first and allow our life to be transformed by Him. And then all that we do flows out of that. I just want to spend a few moments today with all of us online asking the question of how are we going in our relationship with Jesus? 
I just want to ask you a couple of questions that I've asked myself over these recent months and that might be important for some of us. Because Jesus asked his church, have you forsaken your first love? If so, I want you to return, repent, go back to the things that you knew and that you did at first. And maybe that's the challenge for you and I today. So let me ask three questions today. The first is this, in my faith life, uh, am I being driven by obligation or worship? Is my faith life driven from obligation or is it driven by worship? You know, when I gather with a faith community, when I give, when I serve, when I turn up and do all the things that, that I do in my Christian faith, is it something that I do because I feel like I have to do it? You see, obligation in essence, says that I do things for God in order to earn his favour. In other words, God's looking to build the list of my uh, achievements and my actions and my deeds. And it's that that really matters to him. Now, those things do matter. Jesus compliments his church for their hard work and their perseverance for their good deeds. But if our life, our faith life is driven by obligation, it's only a matter of time before we live a life that's just ticking the boxes to survive and sustain our faith. Is the obligation says we do things to earn God's favour, whereas worship says that what we do for God, we do because we recognise that we live in His favour, which has already been earned. You know, when we're driven by obligation, the question we ask is, what is it that I have to do? When we're driven by worship, the question we ask is, what else can I do? You see, it's easy for our walk with Jesus just to go through the motions, to do the things that we've always done, yet lose sight of the reason that we did them in the first place. The church in Ephesus was applauded for a whole bunch of good things, hard work, perseverance, not growing weary, enduring hardship. But I wonder, were they just going through the motions, fulfilling their duty and their perceived obligations, or were they operating out of a place that was driven by a deep love for Jesus? The words in Jesus' letter to his church suggest that the former was becoming true for the church in Ephesus. They were going through the motions, that they were doing things because they should do them or they felt they had to do them, that they were obliged to do them. You see, if we're operating out of obligation, yeah, like a resentment can build in our spirit. But if we recognise that God has done so much for us and it's the love for him that drives us to good deeds, suddenly what we do is an act of worship where what we do is just a constant uh, line of action that says, God, I'm just so thankful for what it is that you've done in my life. You know, another way of asking the same question is, am I driven by guilt or am I driven by grace? See, obligation can grow out of guilt. We do things as a way of appeasing God, whereas worship is a life lived as a response to the grace of God. I wonder if there's some aspects to your faith life right now that feel more like obligation than they do a response of worship to God. The second question I want to ask is this. Is your faith life currently being measured by its outcomes or is being measured by the change in your character. Now, I want to suggest that Jesus is way more interested in who we are becoming than in what we are achieving. Now, it's really easy to get busy in the Christian life. There's so many things that can be done. And I'm, I reckon it's so easy to be so overwhelmed by the things to be done that we often put in second place 
the value of what Jesus wants us to become. You know, I have the immense privilege of working full time as a pastor here at Gateway. It's my 21st year on staff. It's been an incredible privilege of mine. It's been a great journey. I've seen God do so many good things. But one part of my role that I love is that I get to be regularly involved week to week in the forming of our gathered times together, in the shaping of our services and and putting together what happens when we all come together in worship. In this last season, I've been able to work with the team as we've brought Gateway Online to life. And we've got some incredible people behind the scenes that make this happen every week. And I've just got to be a passenger seeing how all that comes together and giving my little pieces of input to it. But throughout that journey, one of the things I realised that was part of my role was I got to regularly stand on stage just like I am today and talk to people about Jesus. And when you know Sunday's coming and your name's on the roster, one of the things that's easy to get stuck in is this. You take the living Word of God and instead of it becoming something that transforms here, it becomes something that we engage with so that we can process it here so that we can use it to bless others. And I found one of the hazards in my role is that the Word of God wasn't something that was transforming my heart and therefore I was then speaking out of my heart. And early on, I got stuck in the mode of, of reading the Word with an eye on what I was going to speak out of the Word. And I realised really quickly that the only way I was ever going to last long term and the only way I was ever going to be effective in this privilege that I have to talk to people out of the Word of God and about the life of Jesus, was that if the life of Jesus and the Word of God transformed me first, and I allowed that transformation to be the thing that allowed me to speak out of my own life and experience. You see, if, if, if the outcome is just for me making a great Sunday happen, there's a point where I lose the fact that the thing that God's most interested in in my life is the person that I'm becoming. God is way more interested in who you are becoming than what you're achieving. You know, we can serve a lot. We can give a lot. We can turn up to everything. We can quote scripture. We can lead ministries. We can do all that without daily being transformed more into the image and the likeness of Jesus. I want to ask the question, are you in a place in your faith right now where you're more worried about achieving great results than allowing God to achieve something deep in you? It's easy just to go through the motions. It's easy to fake it in the Christian life. But God's not interested in what everybody else thinks about your walk with Him. God's not interested in in how good you are at convincing everyone else that you're doing okay. God is just interested in a close and intimate relationship with Him. Where He is transforming you, where He is bringing freedom into your life, where He's helping you to become more like Jesus every day. You see, I don't want to be someone that just is able to tell everybody else how Jesus brings freedom or how Jesus is generous or how Jesus is loving. I want to be someone that every day is becoming more generous and more loving in living in greater freedom myself because out of that place, we're able to minister more deeply to others. So is your faith life measured in outcomes or is God developing your character? Last question I want to ask is this, is your faith life right now a place where you feel overwhelmed or is it a place of peace? You know, 154 days ago, I stood on a platform at Gateway Ormo not realising that it would be the last message that I would preach for 21 Sundays. And suddenly so much of my calendar reduced, not just my church calendar, 
but every aspect of my life. I've got five kids and right now I'm in that phase of life where I feel like I'm, I'm a pastor full-time and a taxi driver part-time. It's just like there's so much happening in the calendar. And life didn't stop being busy. It just took on a different rhythm. And a lot of the events that we had to go to suddenly looked really different. We weren't going to church on Sunday. We weren't taking our kids to school every day. They weren't involved in weekend sport. There were no training sessions. We weren't visiting our friends. We weren't sharing meals at people's houses. The calendar looked a lot different. We were spending a whole lot more time at home, as most of you did as well. And in the midst of that, I just started to enjoy being home. And even though I was working from home and there was still lots to be done, the thought of having to walk out every five minutes and get in my car to take someone somewhere else just wasn't that appealing to me for a season. But then, you know, here we are in Queensland, incredibly blessed where things started to ease for us in recent times. And school came back online the way that it had been originally. And, and what quickly followed there was all the extracurricular things that our kids did. The early morning sports sessions, the afternoon extracurricular events that they were involved in with their school. Then weekend sport came and started up again. And so we were traveling all over the coast on the weekends, taking our kids to footy matches and all through the week to training sessions. And then church started up again. And suddenly, as everything came back into my calendar that had just seeped out, I started to feel this sense, this overwhelming sense of just the anxiety that comes with a really full calendar and, and just feeling like you're being stretched and taken all over the place. I wonder right now how many of us are feeling overwhelmed, are feeling like it's just all too much. I want to ask how this is translated into your faith life. Because following Jesus isn't meant to feel like that. Following Jesus, there's sacrifice, there's hard work. At times there'll be persecution. But Jesus doesn't want to be just another diary entry in your calendar. He doesn't just want to be another thing that you've got to get through in the week. He doesn't want to just be another checkbox on your to-do list. But it's so easy that we compartmentalize our faith and our community faith life into that very thing, a calendar entry or a checkbox on the to-do list. And so when it's just competing with everything else that's craving our time and our attention, it just adds to this overwhelming narrative that so many of us are living. It, the, the life that Jesus promised was very different to that. Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says this, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my burden is easy, and my, uh, my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. I love the way that Eugene Peterson, in the message paraphrase, words this passage. And Peterson took the original scripture and, and just put it into some modern day language. But I want you to listen to the way that he paraphrases this passage from Matthew 11. He says this, Are you tired? Are you worn out? Burn out on religion? Well, come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me and watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. 
I wonder right now if your faith life just feels like another thing that's overwhelming you. Jesus wants us to live in a place of peace. True intimacy in our relationship with Jesus is a place of peace, a place of rest, a place where we get to experience life in all its fullness. Jesus said that, I've come to give you life and life in all its fullness. Are you feeling overwhelmed right now? You know, what would Jesus' letter to you look like? What is it that Jesus would want to say? In recent times, there's some words in this letter to the church in Ephesus that I think are the words that Jesus wanted to speak to me. Some challenges that He wanted to throw to me. A challenge not just to go through the motions, not just to go through, you know, the routine that has been so regular for me for so long. Not just to get caught up in doing the stuff of following Jesus without finding the time just to sit at Jesus' feet, to fall in love with Him all over again, be impacted by His grace, be overwhelmed by His peace, just to be overcome with His joy. This is the life that Jesus offers us. And Jesus throws in this really significant challenge to His church. He says, I I hold this one thing against you. You've done a whole bunch of good stuff, but I hold this thing against you. And it's a thing that threatens more than anything else to take you out. And it's that you've forsaken your first love. But Jesus doesn't just give them the challenge. He gives them the way out of it as well. He says, what I want you to do is realise how far you've moved away from that. Then I want you to repent and return to doing the things that you did at first. You see, Jesus gives us a solution if we find ourselves in a place where our first love has been forsaken. The first thing He says is this. He says, repent. And and repentance isn't just a stance that we take. It's not just words that we speak, even though often that's where it starts. Repentance literally means to turn around, to go in a different direction, to walk a different way than the way we've been walking. For any parents out there, you might have had the conversation I've had with my kids where it's like, I don't want to hear sorry, I want to see it. It's what repentance is. It's an acknowledgement of where we've fallen short and it's an active decision to live differently. And so Jesus says oh, the, the first place to start is an acknowledgement that you've fallen away from your first love. But then He goes on to say, and then what I want you to do is to return to the things that you did at first. And one of the Metaphors the Scripture uses regularly to talk about the relationship Jesus has with His church is the metaphor of marriage. And I've had the privilege of coming up to 19 years of marriage to my beautiful bride, Chrissy. And I remember still with fondness the early years of our marriage. They were just a lot of fun. We had some great adventures together. We were discovering this new life together. And, and the honeymoon period truly was a honeymoon period for us. But then life starts to happen in a different way. You know, careers kick in, the holidays run out and the careers kick in. And then the mortgage payments need to be made. And then the gift of children came along for us, but with that, a whole bunch of extra responsibility and routine. Now it's easy just in the rhythm of family life and in the rhythm of marriage to do all the right things, but to actually forget the thing that you built as the foundation of your marriage, which is just an intimate, deep love with each other. You see, I've seen lots of people that are going through the motions in their marriage, but love was lost a long time ago. Jesus says to His church, I want you to return to the things you did at first. If I think about my own marriage, what were the things that I did at first that were great foundations for our relationship? Chrissy and I just wasted time together. We just didn't need an excuse. We didn't need to 
make up a reason why we liked to hang out. We'd find any excuse that we could just to hang out and we'd come up with ridiculous ones sometimes just because we enjoyed being each other's company and each other's presence. Not only did we waste time with each other, we just lingered way longer than we needed to. Now, phone calls where we just had nothing to talk about, but we just liked the thought of being on the other end of the phone to each other. And not all of you watching this is, this is going to be what it looked like for you, but you'll have your own rhythms and things that you look back on with great fondness. We just used to love to publicly acknowledge our relationship, walking down the street holding hands or, or making it known to the world that this was my bride, was something that I took great pride in doing. We regularly expressed to each other our love in both words and deeds. Now I hope that I still do many of those things, but it's easy for life just to take over and, and, and the realities and the pressures of life to take over and we forget some of the things that we love so much that built great foundations. Maybe as a side note, some of you that are watching this today that are married need to return in your marriage to some of the things you did at first. Find some time to go for a walk together and hold each other's hand or go out and have a meal and actually talk about stuff that's not just the next task. Some of you might need to find some time that's not task driven, but just wasting time together. And it's what Jesus says is the anecdote to our faith life if we realise that we've walked away from that love that we had at first. For those of you watching today that are believers, that are followers of Jesus, what, what did it look like when you first came to a knowledge of His grace and His forgiveness? What was, what was the experience of that? I, I know I've seen so many people come to the Christian faith and they just look for every excuse that they can to hang out with God's people. They just look like for any opportunity they can find to use their gifts to bless others. Uh, they just are so in love with Jesus, they can't wait to stand in worship sessions and they don't stand there complaining about how long or how short or how out of tune. They don't worry about how long or short the message was. They don't become critics of the faith. They just embrace it because they just love being in the presence of Jesus and His people. Maybe you realise you've come a long way because you've just become a critic of the faith or the critic of your experience of it and God today just wants to call you back. What are some of those things that mattered when you first discovered a loving relationship with Jesus. Maybe you just need to find right now, not an excuse for it, but just time to waste time with God. It won't be wasted time, but just time that doesn't have an agenda or a task, but is just for you to sit in His Word, to sit in conversation with Him in prayer, just to sit in worship and just to be regenerated, to be renewed, to be refreshed by God's Word and the work of God's Spirit in your heart. Maybe you need to reprioritize meeting and being present in Christian community with God's people. God calls us to be people that go and share the good news with those that don't yet know it. But all of us need to find those around us that fuel us and encourage us and grow us and speak into us, that hold us accountable. What does it look like for you to repent to return? What are some of the practices that you need to find that once were an important part of your faith life and journey and put them back in place in your life? And Jesus doesn't call us to serve Him out of obligation. He wants us to be so overwhelmed by His love and grace that we choose to do things for Him out of worship. Jesus isn't worried about all your achievements and the list of things that you've done for Him. 
He wants to see that day by day, your character is being transformed more into his likeness. And then out of that, the things that you do, do matter. And Jesus doesn't want life following him to be an overwhelming, anxiety-filled life. He wants you to know and experience his peace and his rest. He wants you to find those unforced rhythms of grace. As we come to a conclusion today, I just want to lead you through a prayer. And wherever it is that you're watching this service, you might be in your lounge room or your study, you might be sitting on your bed. I just want to encourage you just to take a few moments as the, the words of the next song start to just wash over you, just to do the business that you need to do with God. Maybe this isn't a message for you today. Maybe this isn't God's word for you today. Maybe, you know, this is something that, that isn't fresh and relevant for you. But for those of us that are watching this, that know that our faith life has just become about going through the motions, about the routine that we've always lived, and, and we recognise that that life-giving intimate relationship that Jesus calls into, a relationship of love, has just been left behind. The good news is Jesus gives us a way out. Starts by acknowledging it. And it starts by actively putting that acknowledgement into practice. Carving out the time we need, finding the space we need, sitting in the spaces that we should, where God can continue to do a good thing in and through us. I'm going to pray for us and then we're just going to sit in a song that says, Lord, I need you. I just need you, Jesus. And as those words wash over you, just let him minister to you deeply today. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you that the reason we have the privilege of being in relationship with you is that you loved us first and that your love for us just found a way that we can have a relationship with our Creator. Thank you, Jesus, that you don't look at us through the lens of uh, what we do and what we achieve. You just want to see us as part of your family. Call us one of your kids. Just hang out with us. And Jesus, you're so good. You just want to bring good things into our lives. God, even when things get tough and even when circumstances of life don't make sense and even when we walk through horrific circumstances, Jesus, that we just know your presence with us, your peace that is deep in our lives. God, I want to pray for any of us today who know that we've forsaken the love that we had at first. Jesus, right now you're calling some of your kids back. God, right now you want to reset uh, some schedules and, and some mindsets, God, that have just slowly over time gone askew. Holy Spirit, do a deep work right now, I pray. Call those back that need to be called back. Give us the courage to acknowledge it, to own it, and then to put in place the things that we need to that we may continue to know your love, your grace. We may continue to be people that live in the purpose that you have for us. We pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If we can pray for you or you would like to take a further step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to connect with you. Please head to gatewaybaptist.com.au and click on Get Connected to let us know.